Well, once again, dear church family and friends, our sermon theme will be taken from the precious words of 2 Chronicles 15.8 about renewing the altar of the Lord, the latter part of 2 Chronicles 15.8. That's what that great reforming king, King Asa, did. He renewed the altar of the Lord. He restored, repaired, and renewed the heartfelt, sincere worship of the living God. And this is what our increasingly ungodly and blighted country needs, doesn't it? We need to renew the altar of the Lord God. We need to cry out to the Lord to repair the breaches, as it were. And this is really what our very much comfortable and compromised And now increasingly worldly Christianity in the West needs. We need to renew the altar of the Lord. True heartfelt worship of the Lord God. Of course the altar here in 2 Chronicles and the Lord are the two great themes of the the books of Chronicles. We see the theme of course of The Holy Spirit concentrating upon the house of David in two chronicles in particular. The the, the kings of Jerusalem, of Judah. It focuses upon that. It focuses on the messianic line. The line of which the Savior would come. And you see, scripture only gives us really that which we need. It's not talking about the northern kingdom. It's focusing on Jerusalem. It's focusing on the line of, of, of the Messiah. And so the theme, of course, being the hope of the coming Messiah, the Saviour. And the other great theme, of course, is the hope of the new temple. A hope of the new temple. Hence the altar, renewing the altar of the Lord. And so in this chronicle or history of the kings of Jerusalem are recorded the events of good kings and not so good kings. Kings that... Hearken sincerely to the word of the living God and word and kings that just did not hearken and take seriously the word of the living God. We're told in Romans 15:4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These things, these truths and scriptures are profitable. They are written down for our learning, for our admonition, for our instruction. But you see, friends, our society today wants to tear down and change and censor and get away with, with history, in particular biblical history. It wants to tear down statues, tear down the word of God, censor any relevant and needful history, especially concerning that which is for our souls. But here in the word of God is recorded a history that is a living history. It can never be extinguished. And friends, it is our only hope. The gospel, the power of the gospel and the word of God is our only hope. And it is the only hope for the next generation. Access, dear friends, we see from here in 2 Chronicles 15.8. Access has always been through an altar. And we know through Hebrews 13 that it has always been access to the true living God, the one true God 
has always been through an altar. Not an altar necessarily of stone or of material. It must be an altar of the heart. The intentions and desires of a man, woman or child's heart. If we dare approach the living God, the one true holy God, on our terms, on man's terms, uh, not through this altar, dear friends, the altar which God has set, there is no access to the Lord God. There's no access to God. And I suppose this was my problem for many years as a youth growing up. And I, I, I praise my mum. I really praise my mum. My father abandoned us when I was 14 years old, left my mum. And uh, many things befell us as a, a family. I went, I went off the rails in my teen years, like, a bit like the prodigal son. And I remember as a, as a youth, my dad used to take us in particular. My mum was faithful. She took us to church. And I did hear the, the true gospel. But my dad would often take us to many worldly churches where I would often be presented with half a gospel, a watered-down gospel. And often they would, they would say to me, they would say, come up, give your life to Christ. Give your life, come up to the front and give your, your life to Christ. And of course, I would feel compelled to go up. The, the peer pressure was great. So they would compel me, come up and give your life to Christ. Come up to the front here. It was an emotional appeal, you see. And I went up, of course, um, with many of friends and other people to the front. And, you know, I, there, there was an emotional, there was, some, there was something quite emotional about this. But friends, that following week, I went straight back into the world. And, and I know many other people, most of them went straight back into the world as well. Because one thing was missing, and the same is missing in many churches today. The, the same half gospel is missing. You see... I was told the how of salvation. I was told, go to the cross. Come to Christ. Give your life to Christ. There's some truth in that, isn't there? Something of the cross. But I, wasn't, I was never told the why. The why of salvation. I was told the how, but the why. Why? I'm not such a bad person. I've got a Christian mum. I, I go to church. Why? Why should I come to the cross? I was told something of the how, not really most of it, but something, but never the why. Never the why. You see, I knew nothing of the wretchedness of my heart. I knew nothing of the, the sin that is deep within me, that which needs literally surgery, spiritual surgery to get it out. Every part of me had been corrupted. My, uh, my heart, my eyes, everything had been tainted and been corrupted with sin. I've been told half a gospel. And you see, dear friends, I went straight back in the world. I never knew myself. I never knew the reality of a devil. Satan is real. I never knew the reality of an eternal damnation and hell. I never knew the pull and lure of the world. I never knew the justice of God. That God is a holy God. And he cannot look upon sin. And therefore he has to punish sin. Else he would not be a just God. These things were never really taught in any great depth or feeling. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Well, God knows that, doesn't he? 
about us. He knows the condition of our hearts. By nature, they're desperately wicked. They're like Cain on the run from God. Desperately wicked. Desperately running away from God, as it were. That's all of us by nature. Well, the word of God today, through the very simple yet profound words of 2 Chronicles 15.8, teach us, all of us, what is required of us of the Lord. And that is like King Asa to renew the altar of the Lord. To truly seek to worship the Lord God, the one true God of the Bible, the, the, the God that created the heaven, heavens and earth on his terms and not on ours. That's the problem with much of our Christianity, isn't it? So many people seek to worship him 101 terms, but often it's not the t- on, on God's terms. For me, two fundamental truths, two fundamental truths ring true of King Asa's seeking and salvation, which I believe are consistent right throughout Holy Scripture, from the very beginning of Scripture right through to Revelation. Two themes, two principles are fundamentally true, I believe, of King Asa's seeking and salvation, which I hope to demonstrate. And that is firstly, that true seekers of the Lord God, true seekers of the Lord God, truly do turn from their sin and from self and from the things of this world to Christ alone. There is a true, sincere turning. That's our first principle. True seekers turn with all their heart. And secondly, that when true seekers do turn, sincerely and heartily, it always results in a renewed altar, a new heart, a restored heart, a repaired heart, a heart made whole, a renewed heart for the Lord. And so let's begin with the first principle here. True seekers of the Lord truly turn. At the beginning of Asa's reign in 2 Chronicles 14, 2, we're told that Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, the Lord, his God. He did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. We must remember that that, uh, idolatry in particular was introduced by Solomon at the end of his reign. Remember, he brought in all those ungodly, strange women uh, through lust and he allowed them to build strange altars to the Lord, high places, groves to the Lord. And then under um, Rehoboam, his son, and then under his son, Abijam, Asa's father, this, these altars, these strange altars went unabated. They collect their wit, they built up momentum. And so the whole of Israel, all of Jerusalem was flooded with these strange altars, you see. And it went unabated until really King Asa came along. Now it must be said, that uh, we know from uh, Kings, from 1 Kings 15.3, that Asa's father, Abijam, walked in all the sins of his father. That was Rehoboam. That's what the text says us. God granted 
abide in victory. Uh, victory not because of his godliness, but because of David, his servant. Because he made a covenant with David. And so Asa here, we're told, did that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the context. Now think about that for a minute. The whole of Jerusalem is flooded with false altars. Everyone, the religion, piety had gone out the window. We're told that the priests, there was no teaching priests. Yes, there were priests, but there was no teaching priests. There weren't those who were teaching the word of God heartily. Things, the law became lawless. And it's a bit like our Christianity today. It's just been given over to worldliness. Where are the true gospel preachers of our day? And that, that was what it was like then. It had, religion had become a, to a, a very low standard, you see, friends. But we see here King Asa, despite all these, all these dark forces of hell, King Asa here did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Not in the eyes of the church, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of the Lord, his God. And that is exactly what we need to do, dear friends. We, we don't look to the church, we don't look to the world and what other Christians are doing. We look to the Lord and his word and we do that which is right in, in, in his sight. That's where we must get back to. We're told in 2 Chronicles 14, 3 through 5, that King Asa, he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God, the God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high place and the, and, and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. He took away the altars of the strange God. Those altars that took up the people's time. Those altars that grieved the Lord. Those altars which were a complete distraction that took them back into worldliness. That made them compromise. He took all them away. Asa was absolutely convicted that in order to renew a true heartfelt altar to the one true living holy God. That the altar of confession the altar of prayer, the altar of atonement, of sacrifice and true joy and peace and restoration in the Lord can only happen. There must be a true turning. All other altars must be cast away. All other strange gods and their altars and high places needed to be broken down. They needed to be burnt up. Even his mother's altar needed to be burnt up and stamped out. They needed to be forsaken. They needed to be turned from and truly turned from. Else it's pointless coming to renew the altar of the Lord. Their prayers will be hindered. And we must understand this principle. If any one of us here seek to renew the altar of the Lord, there must be a true turning. Whether we are a seeker, truly seeking to get right with God and to know his salvation, or whether we are a Christian. And I'll put the first one to put my hands up here and say I have been, there's been times in my Christian walk with the Lord where I had to plead for the Lord. My backslidings, my, the, sometimes a glaze can come over us. And we need to plead for the Lord. There must be a true turning of heart here. 
God is not mocked. And King Asa knew that. He knew that the sins, his sins, the sins of Judah and Benjamin could not be covered up if they expected God's blessing. Restoring the altar of the Lord would be in vain. And this same principle, friends, of seekers and even believers truly turning from their sin, the pull of the world, the vanities of this world, has, that principle has been lost in our modern Christianity. It's been completely lost, hasn't it? A true turning and forsaking of sin. Seekers must be compelled to turn and to, with all their heart and all their soul, with all their strength, frame their lives around the the things which are conducive to God's blessing. Proverbs 28.13 comes to mind. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confesseth, the altar of confession, and, and a heart to truly forsake them. Hosea 5.4 says, They will not frame their doings, their doings to turn unto their God. So there is an outward turning, but there's an inward one, isn't there? There's an, there's, there must be a turning in the heart that leads to a framing of our lives around those things we know to be true of God. Those things we know that we, we'll, we'll, uh, God will bless us for and reward us for. There is a reward for the godly. We must frame our lives around the means of God's grace, the means of God's mercy. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. Now for those of us who have been Christians, we know from sad experience that there will always be besetting sins. There will always be besetting worldliness, won't there, in our hearts that needs to be, fight, be, to be fought against. This is true of all of us, but we should never let it settle. It's like letting the Canaanites, the Midianites, the, it's letting them settle in our hearts, isn't it? If you let them settle, they're going to grow and they're going to start taking you away from the Lord, aren't they? As Christians, we must fight the good fight of faith. We must forsake them. We must burn them, all these high places in our hearts, all these distractions. Only that which is done for Christ is going to last in the end, isn't it, friends? James 4, 7 and 10 rings true in this respect. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See there? The inward and the outward. The inward and the outward. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Don't be, don't have the world and Christ. Have Christ. Have the word. Ever be single-mindedness. And then frame your life around that. Draw nigh to God. He promises that when you draw nigh to God with a true heart of repentance, of the, the altar of confession and prayer and atonement, he promises that he will draw nigh to you. It says in verse 9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. That's what we need, don't we? That's what Asa did. That's what all God's people did. 
throughout the ages, they humble themselves in the, mighty, in the sight of God. Not in the sight of the man, not in the sight of the world, not in the sight of the church, in the sight of God, by faith. It is no wonder that Asaph says in Psalm 73, 14, For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Why? That's a strange word. Those are strange words he says there. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Why would a a godly man be chastened every morning? Because the love of Christ constrains us, doesn't it? Every day. We're not in... God's people... We're not in trouble. We're in trouble like other men are, aren't they? Asaph acknowledges he was envious at the foolish, wasn't he? He saw the the prosperity of the foolish. He saw the carefree life of perhaps even professors. He saw the ease. He saw the supposed liberty. And he was tempted to do likewise. But the love of Christ, the word of God constrains us, doesn't it? To live for him. In 2 Chronicles 15.2, we're told that the spirit-filled prophet Azariah says to Asa, King Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. See, the prophet here comes. They've won a great battle. They've overcome a million Ethiopians. Um, they were uh, far less than them. And the prophet comes not to give them a victory clap, as it were, but he, he reminds them, as we need to be reminded, now's the time to build up the defences. Now's the time, don't take thine ease, as it were. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. God wants your heart and your mind and your strength, dear friends. He wants it all. He doesn't want these other altars. We can. We can have these other altars that creep into our lives, that take up our time, that take up our strength, that take us away from the Lord God. We all have them. They're the pull of the world, dear friends. And these altars, can, they can be not necessarily intrinsically evil, in themselves, they can be pleasant things. Asa's mother, didn't she? She had an altar. She was spending all this time with her altar. What did Asa do? Took it. He took her queenhood away and he burnt it down. He stamped on it, got it all out the way. That's what we need to do, don't, don't we? Even the, the things that are sometimes, we love our families, we love what God has given us, but we must stand for the Lord. We must be those who, who, he must be first in our hearts and in our lives. God wants your heart. God wants your mind. He wants your soul. He wants your strength. He wants to use you and I for his glory as a witness to his salvation and his glory. The faith needs to be passed on by faith to faith. And it's not going to happen if we've got all these other altars in our lives. Not just an outward profession, but an inward conviction and an outward witness. That's what we see with King Asa. An inward conviction and an outward witness. That he comes to the altar of conviction, of confession, of prayer, of atonement, sacrifice, 
And then he has all the things that flow from that. Trust, courage, joy, praise, building up in the days of quiet. And this, dear friends, is what we need. Perhaps you're one sat here today as a seeker or as a Christian that has grieved the Holy Spirit. Perhaps as a seeker by your wanderings or perhaps as a Christian by past failures and strange altars that have crept in unawares into your heart and your life. Friends, I'm all all too familiar with this. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone because there's three fingers pointed back to me. Well, isn't it about time, friends? Isn't it about time to renew the altar of the Lord? The altar of conviction, of confession, to repair the breaches, as it were. The devil comes and sneaks and whispers, as it were, to renew the altar of the Lord in our lives. Is God calling you today? I'm just a man, sinful man. But is the word of God calling you today? Renew that altar in your heart and your lives, in your homes and your families, dedication to the Lord in your heart and your home, in his church, in how that outlays to society. Is he calling you? Harden not your hearts, dear friends, as in the day of provocation. Receive him because there's an altar of forgiveness. There is an altar of forgiveness that he may be feared. There is an altar of sacrifice. Dear friends, that you can be cleansed, truly cleansed from all sin and reinstated and blessed. What would happen, friends? What would happen if the true altar of the Lord was to be renewed and restored in every one of our hearts here today? That the Holy Spirit should so come down and speak to every one of our hearts and so convict us like they did then. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. We would see revival, wouldn't we? If that happened in all of our hearts here today, and every one of us was moved here today to renew that altar, to, to, to dedicate ourselves to the Lord in every area of our lives, to, to try to, with God, by God's grace and mercy, plead for the Lord, I want to get rid of all these distractions, all these high places on my, my, my mind, all these strange altars that are taking up my time. I want to get rid of them. What would happen? We would see revival, wouldn't we? In this town, This is what we need, don't we, friends? There is an altar, dear friends. There is an altar of the Lord for sincere seekers and believers. There is an altar of confession, of sins, to confess our sins and our our shortcomings and know of God's free forgiveness and his blessing, to know of the power of his blood. There is an altar of seeking to forsake sin, not to cover it up. Remember, Asa even went to his (laughs) mum there is an altar of prayer which we can frequent often daily avowing ourselves to God a desire to be used for heavenly purposes to used of God to get busy for God to take courage in God there is this altar to build up the defences of the faith whilst we have the time whilst the evil days do not fall upon us are we doing that, building up like Asa did? An altar of prayer where we know the burden of God, like Ezra, like Nehemiah, like David. Do you have a burden for the Lord? A burden for the lost? burden for your loved ones? Are you pleading with the Lord for loved ones, friends? Is there a burden? 
an altar, friends, of prayer where we dedicate ourselves to the Lord's service to truly commit ourselves in Christian love. Christ gave up everything for us. He gave up the glorious courts and mansions of heaven. Think of that. Think about that. Paradise. Eternal communion with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Never, never blemished with sin. It's, it's a bad illustration, but you can imagine taking a little toddler, one, two years old, and putting him in one of these filthy nightclubs. And, and, the, and, the, and the confusion of that little one, the God of heaven, the Holy One, the thrice Holy One, coming into the sin-sick world, rescuing us, stepping into history and time, becoming a, a sacrifice, saviour for us. And then on that cross, having those nails hammered into his hands, and then worst of all, being punished for the millions and billions and trillions of sins, your sins, my sins, a lifetime of sin. On our church website, you'll see a picture of a lamb. And that lamb will be when the sun's coming down. It will be a, a, a I've never figured this word out, a silhouette of a lamb on a hill. When the sun comes down, that, that white lamb, that woolly lamb, that lamb, you can't see any blemishes on it, but when the sun goes down, it's completely black. Completely black when the sun goes down. That's what the Saviour did. He became sin who knew no sin to reconcile us sinners to God, to bring us sinners to God. The Holy One, the one without sin, was punished. God the Father had to turn away and pour the full wrath of his anger and hatred against sin upon his only precious son to punish you and me so that we can have this altar of sacrifice. No wonder why John the Baptist said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold him now in your mind's eye and by faith. This is the Lamb which the Old Testament sacrifices point to, which the service, the the temple service point to. Behold him, the spotless one, the one without blemish, the one that will be uh, beaten up and bruised and killed for you, for your sin. Behold him now. Believe in him. Seek him. Know him. Know the power of that blood given to your account. Know that when Christ, when God the Father punished God the Son, that the Holy Spirit imputed his righteousness to you. He gives you his obedience and righteousness so that when you believe and come to this altar of confession and prayer and atonement and sacrifice, God doesn't see you anymore with all your failures and sin. He sees the imputed obedience and righteousness of another, of his son Christ. <laughs> what, a, what a wonder this is. Why do we not frequent this, this, this prayer, this altar of prayer and atonement? Why do we not go every minute of every day? When we have such a saviour, this altar of praise and joy and thanksgiving. Oh, friends, we need it, don't we? We need to renew, repair and restore the altar 
of the Lord our God in our homes, in our own private hearts, our personal walk with the Lord in our homes and in our families and how that outpours to society. Switch off, you know, we can all be, we are not saying that we, we shouldn't have times of leisure and, you know, all these things. Yes, these things are needful. But are we having, are, are, we, are we dedicating ourselves? Do we have family worship? Husband and wife? Husbands, are you leading your homes? Are, are, are we committed to God's service? Or do we have a, a burden and a, and a care for the lost, those who will be spending an eternity in hell? We need to renew this and restore the altar of the Lord, friends, in every part of our lives. True worship, personal worship, family worship, corporate worship, in the highways and the byways. People need to know that there's a God in Israel, that he is the God, the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and power that can change us irrevocably, give us a new heart, give us purpose and meaning to our lives. And for all this, friends, we need that altar of sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's how bad our sins are. Blood needs to be spilt. A life needs to be given. A sacrifice needs to be done. And of course, that was Christ. Man has not the freedom to decide what this sacrifice will be. Like me in my youth, man has 101 ways in which he would want salvation. And it's, typically, it's the world's way. Some through being a nice person, some through keeping of the liturgical calendar, some through a confessional basis or denomination, some through observing the law, some through being a good Catholic, some through jihad, some through a form of godliness, some through hellish grace that turns the grace into God into lasciviousness. There's only one true sacrifice, and John the Baptist said it, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When you truly turn as a seeker or as a backslidden Christian, when you truly turn to that lamb, as a Christian you're reinstated. Your, your prayers will be answered. You'll have that joy, that peace, that thanksgiving. The altar of praise and joy will come flowing back. The Holy Spirit will, I remember when I was converted, the Holy Spirit just, I never felt joy and peace like that before. And that the times when that altar is renewed and restored, that the joy and the peace, the thanksgiving, all that is so sweet, isn't it? If you're not a Christian, you don't know of that. You need that. We have an altar, dear friends, of sacrifice in Christ, whereby we are acceptable. We are acceptable in the beloved, and we are consecrated. We are consecrated to our heavenly calling. Remember, every Christian, every, every, everyone who is saved God's way is, is commissioned, is called, is consecrated. Remember that. God doesn't save, save us. He sa- he's, sorry. God saves us for a purpose. We're commissioned. There's a heavenly calling. There's a purpose. Our proof text for that is Romans 12, 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's our reason. We're living for him. We're sacrificed, consecrated to him. 
Our lives are not our own anymore. We're risen to newness of life. We're born of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. He gives us power to overcome these altars, these distractions. If we often frequent this glorious altar of the Lord through confession and conviction, through prayer, through sacrifice, friends, then no doubt there, there, no doubt there will be an altar of praise and thanksgiving and joy. Sometimes we need to have a self-examination. Why, where's the joy of my salvation gone? Where's that praise? Where's that rest and peace which the world cannot give? Sometimes it's because we're not confessing, aren't we? We're not going to that altar. We're not going to the altar of confession frequently. Prayer, confession, sacrifice, thanking the Lord for his salvation. Putting on the helmet of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 13, uh, 13, 15 and 16 says, comes to mind. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices is God well pleased. Elijah said unto all the people in 1 Kings 18.30, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The altar is broken down, dear friends, in our society. But will we hearken to the word of God here today? I really hope and pray that every soul gathered here today will hearken, not to my words, but to the words of the living God. Friends, let us turn to the altar of the Lord, the altar of confession, of sincere prayer, of sacrifice, and of heartfelt praise. Amen.